I love the friendships and the bonds that we get to make with our medical students who then go on into their lives as residents. And of course, in particular, the best residency of them all, which is obstetrics and gynecology. Just the other day, I received a text from a resident who was a former medical student with this very real and practical conundrum. Here's the text. Hey, Dr. Chapa, I have an ultrasound report with a normal EFW at 25% headlock, but the abdominal circumference is at 5%. I know that qualifies for FGR, right? But the ACOG in its committee opinion 831 doesn't list that as an indication for medically indicated late preterm or early term delivery. So how do I interpret and manage this? That is a great practical question. So it seems to be that there was this debate within their team as to the significance of that isolated abdominal circumference, which does meet definition criterion for FGR. Now, to put this in perspective, this patient was at 36 weeks. So, of course, I was asked to referee. Well, great, exactly what I want to do. (laughs) So after I presented and reviewed this, what seems to be initially contradictory information, we came up with the best evidence based on the data. And then, of course, I thought, hey, that's a wonderful podcast topic. So here we are. In this episode, we're going to answer that very real conundrum, that very real question of what to do with the isolated abdominal circumference, which is under 10%, with a normal EFW. Yes, we know that that qualifies for FGR, but what is the data relating that to adverse perinatal outcomes? And the answer really depends on who you ask. And even though that data does seem conflicting, of course, you'll want to stick with us until the end of the episode because we're going to provide some very real practical tips to keep us not only evidence-based, but also primarily to keep our patients safe. Ready? Let's cover FGR by the isolated abdominal circumference right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Do you ever wonder why FGR was based on the fetal weight of less than 10 percentile? Well, that's because by definition, it's just that. That's what the 10th percentile means. It happens at less than 10% of a population of pregnancies. That's why it's 10%. That's the percentile. FGR, which does occur in up to 10% of pregnancies in a population, is a leading cause of infant morbidity and mortality. In fetuses in all gestational ages with fetal weights below the 10th percentile, the stillbirth rate is about 1.5%, which is twice the rate in fetuses with normal growth. With fetal weights below the 5th percentile, the stillbirth rate can be as high as 25 Furthermore, infants with birth weights below the 10th percentile are more likely to have severe acidosis at birth, low 5-minute APGAR scores, and neonatal intensive care unit admissions. Oh, and of course, it just can't affect immediate perinatal issues. It's the gift that just keeps on giving. FGR is associated with negative long-term health outcomes due to metabolic programming that increases the risk of future development of metabolic syndrome and the consequent cardiovascular and endocrine diseases that it brings. FGR has traditionally been defined as the ultrasonographic EFW, typically by a Hadlock formula, below the 10th percentile for gestational age. But in October of 2020, SMFM updated its guidance for FGR diagnosis with the release of console series number 52. 
That's the Diagnosis and Management of Fetal Growth Restriction. This guideline endorsed the use of abdominal circumference as an alternative possible diagnostic criterion for FGR. In other words, even if the EFW is normal, if the abdominal circumference alone was less than 10%, then that also qualified for FGR. As they state in that document, evidence does support the use of AC or abdominal circumference as a diagnostic criterion for FGR as well. In a prospective study in 1,000 low-risk pregnancies, an abdominal circumference of less than the 10th percentile was found to have diagnostic accuracy similar to EFW less than the 10th percentile for the prediction of SGA at birth. Data has shown that abdominal circumference less than the 10th percentile may actually precede a diagnosis of fetal weight FGR by an average of six weeks. In other words, it's very, very sensitive as an early marker for future development of FGR. This means that finding an abdominal circumference that's below the 10th percentile, especially early in the third trimester, once again, here's a clinical pearl, may flag those infants or fetuses who are at risk of fetal compromise down the road. In a separate meta-analysis published in 2017, an abdominal circumference of less than the 10th percentile predicted SGA as well as an ultrasound EFW less than the 10th percentile. This had comparable sensitivities and specificities. This was published by Blue et al. in the American Journal of Perinatology in 2017. And so, accordingly, the SMFM states, quote, We recommend that FGR be defined as an ultrasonographic EFW or abdominal circumference below the 10th percentile for gestational age. They rated that evidence as a grade 1B. And the following year, ACOG, of course, followed suit with its similar guidance. This was in ACOG's Practice Bulletin number 227, which was in 2021, that replaced Practice Bulletin 204 from back in February of 2019. Okay, okay, everybody gets it. ACOG, SMFM, they changed their guidance. Now it includes abdominal circumference. But what's the data linking it to bad stuff? Let's cover that coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. All right, podcast family, get ready for the he said, she said controversy of this. I don't know if the first part's the he said or the she said, but whatever. We'll just go with it. In January 2022, a poster was presented by Sebastian Ramos et al. at the SMFM annual meeting. This was published in the AJOG supplement for that month. The title of this data was Neonatal Outcomes in Fetal Growth Restriction Diagnosed Using an Estimated Fetal Weight 
versus abdominal circumference. Well, that's pretty fitting. That's exactly what we're talking about. This was a retrospective cohort study of patients diagnosed with FGR using either estimated fetal weight or abdominal circumference, both under the 10th percentile, or I suppose one or the other. And this was looked at in those who had this ultrasound diagnosis within four weeks of delivery. This was at a large tertiary center, and the data was collected from 2018 up to 2019. Patients with multiple gestations or fetal anomalies or abnormal Doppler studies who had both estimated fetal weight less than 10th percentile and the abdominal circumference less than the 10th percentile at that last ultrasound prior to delivery, those were excluded because they wanted to see what was up in those who did not already have abnormal Dopplers. Maternal demographics, delivery, and neonatal outcomes, of course, were collected and abstracted. The primary outcomes for this was a composite of neonatal morbidity, neonatal intensive care admissions, APGARs less than 7 at 5 minutes, mechanical ventilation, cord pH less than 7, and even intraventricular hemorrhage, necrotizing enterocolitis, and even RDS. Just to throw in things for completeness, they also looked at episodes of hypoglycemia and transient tachypnea of the newborn. The results of 148 participants who met the study criteria, 55 were diagnosed with FGR by estimated fetal weight, and 93 were diagnosed by FGR by the abdominal circumference alone. Patients with FGR based on the abdominal circumference diagnoses compared to those with the estimated fetal weight less than 10th percentile were more likely to deliver at a later gestational age, have higher mean birth weights, and be less likely to be admitted to the NICU or require mechanical ventilation than those diagnosed with FGR based at the 10th percentile or down, all right? So the authors concluded, quote, pregnancies diagnosed with FGR by abdominal circumference alone are less likely to experience neonatal morbidity compared to those diagnosed by the traditional criteria using estimated fetal weight. They stated, quote, as we increasingly use abdominal circumference to identify pregnancies at risk for FGR, this study suggests that the neonatal risks associated with abdominal circumference identified FGR may not not be as significant as EFW identified FGR, end quote. All right, that seems pretty good. At least we find out that it's not as bad according to this one review. Oh, but you know, we're not going to leave it with that because we're still in the he or the she part of the discussion. Another article was published from that same meeting that also seemed to provide reassuring data. Savage and Chasen. Let's just stop right there for a minute. How great is that name? Savage. I just, I wish my name was Savage. Savage Clinical Pearls. I kind of like that. I don't think that's accurate, though. Anyway, Savage and Chasen presented their data titled IUGR based on EFW less than the 10th percentile versus small abdominal circumference, differences in presentation and outcome. I like this data. I think they did a great job, but I hate that they put IUGR in the title. Remember, we don't call it IUGR anymore. It's FGR. Of course, FGR is intrauterine. Where else would the fetus be? So please don't put IUGR in your documentation. It's a huge pet peeve of mine, and it's, well, it's, it's wrong. This was also a retrospective cohort study comparing pregnancies diagnosed with FGR from 2018 to 2020. Pregnancies with the estimated fetal weight definition were characterized as an EFW group, and those with normal EFW but with the abdominal circumference less than 10 were called the AC group for abdominal circumference. 
all pregnancies underwent surveillance consistent with SMFM recommendations. So that's one of the first clinical pearls. If you meet criteria for FGR by whatever criteria you're using, you still got to follow the traditional rules of antepartum surveillance. 318 pregnancies were included. 250 had the EFW diagnosis and 68 had the AC diagnosis. All but two cases in the EFW group also had the abdominal circumference less than the 10th percentile. So in other words, if you're growth restricted by EFW, in general, you're going to have the abdominal circumference that's small as well. Now, they found something interesting, because remember what we said earlier in the intro. There is some data that abdominal circumference may be the first sign that that fetus, that that child, is on the way to develop EFW, or traditional fetal growth restriction. That's actually not what they found in this cohort. (laughs) Yeah, great. Diagnosis was earlier in the EFW group, with a higher proportion being diagnosed under 32 weeks. And delivery was also earlier in the EFW group, with a higher rate of delivery less than 34 weeks compared to the abdominal circumference group. In other words, physicians typically, according to this, said, oh, abdomen's a little bit less than 10th percentile or so. We're just going to keep going as far as we can go because they don't have the EFW diagnosis yet. And that's exactly what the previous study showed as well. Those with diagnosis based on small abdominal circumferences were also more likely to have ultrasound follow-up that was not compatible with IUGR. So, in other words, they kind of caught up growth and they ruled out for fetal growth restriction. And there was no differences in the rate of low APGAR scores, nor were there any stillbirths in either group. That's interesting. I think that's a testimony to antepartum surveillance. So these authors concluded, quote, In this cohort with FGR based on EFW less than the 10th percentile, diagnosis and delivery were earlier compared to the cohort with the abdominal circumference diagnoses. FGR based on low abdominal circumference was significantly more likely to resolve on follow-up. So this data suggests that abdominal circumference alone to diagnose FGR in those whose EFW is greater than 10th percentile could identify a milder form of FGR, end quote. All right, so, so far on this he said, she said argument, so far we're finding that isolated abdominal circumference, eh, it needs to be followed, you just got to do surveillance, but it doesn't seem that adverse perinatal outcomes is, is all that negatively affected. But remember, there's more. But let's keep going now with this side of the argument. Most recently, as of February 2023, in the Journal of Ultrasound in Medicine, that's a journal of the AIUM. If you don't know what that is, that's the American Institute of Ultrasound in Medicine. Megan Whitman et al. published data around this whole issue as well. These authors performed a retrospective cohort study of 1587, that's 1,587 patients, who received prenatal care and delivery at their institution. They included all patients with ultrasounds and delivery outcomes available and excluded second trimester losses and pregnancies without ultrasounds. EFWs were calculated by Hadlock and abdominal circumference references and EFW references followed traditional guidelines for FGR diagnoses. They determined SGA at birth and defined a composite perinatal morbidity as a birth weight less than the 3rd percentile or birth weight less than 10th percentile with some other neonatal morbidity being present. Of the 1587 patients, 28, that's 1.8%, were classified as FGR by EFW criteria. 
three of 12 patients with isolated abdominal circumference. So you can see already we are much lower than those with the EFW diagnosis. Three of those 12 with isolated abdominal circumferences that were small later developed EFWs less than the 10th percentile. So that was about 25%. The performance of each diagnostic criteria were comparable for the outcomes of SGA and composite neonatal morbidity. Man, that was a lot of words. All to say, here's their final conclusions. Broadening the diagnosis of FGR to include patients with isolated abdominal circumferences less than 10th percentile did not significantly increase the detection of pregnancies at risk for SGA or composite neonatal morbidity. So, yeah, again, didn't really seem to do anything. Yeah, maybe you picked up some more SGA babies, but it really wasn't a lot. I just want to leave you with one further reference. This one is by Marcus Ortega. This was in the Green Journal and was published also in the supplement. And this was back just before the SMFM did the update because this was actually published back in 2017. So we're kind of going back a little bit. The short of it is it looked at the exact same kind of study design that we've just covered. And they concluded, just like the others, quote, abdominal circumference does not appear to be associated with other investigated poor perinatal outcomes given the high incidence of FGR and SGA, follow-up ultrasounds could be considered if delivery is not otherwise indicated, end quote. In other words, even before the guidelines change, remember this now back to 2017, these authors said, nah, isolate abdominal circumference, yeah, keep tracking them with ultrasound, maybe do some surveillance, but it really probably is not linked to any poor perinatal outcomes. Okay, that's reassuring, but you know there's more to the story. Now, before we go into the other rebuttal, the other part of the argument, let's just call out the obvious here. Have you noticed the trend in retrospective data here? That's because it's kind of hard to do an RCT on this because we already have established diagnostic criteria of what FGR is. We already know what that diagnosis is. And so most management is going to follow that. But there are gaps in the guideline. I'm going to tell you that at the end. So that's why most of this data is retrospective in design. All right, so in the he said, she said framework, here's the rebuttal. Remember, we just left the data that said, yeah, follow it, do some serial ultrasounds, but meh. I mean, it's just kind of there. Yes, it's part of the diagnostic criterion. No one's arguing that. But in terms of a link to perinatal morbidity, maybe not so much. But here's the rebuttal. Street et al. published in the American Journal of OBGYN in 2015, data titled, Is a Small Abdominal Circumference a Predictor of Perinatal Complications in Fetuses with a Normal Estimated Fetal Weight? I just love that that's exactly what we're talking about. So fitting that we're talking about it. Anyway, same thing. Again, a retrospective cohort. No surprise. Fetuses with isolated abdominal circumferences less than 10th percentile. 50% of those went on to develop true FGR based on estimated fetal weight less than the 10th percentile. 39% continued with isolated small abdominal circumferences, whereas 11% ended up achieving normal growth. So 50% went on to develop FGR based on EFW, 39 kind of continued with a small abdomen. Once again, in this study, it's kind of a marker, it's a flag that they may not outgrow it later. Remember, back in the other side of the discussion, there was this uh, consensus that, yeah, they can kind of outgrow it. But in this study, they didn't. Only 11% did. Don't you just love data and its conflicting nature? But remember, at the end, we're going to make this thing right. 
Anyway, back to the street data. Those fetuses that developed EFWs less than the 10th percentile and those that continued with the isolated abdominal circumference less than 10% had similar proportions of SGA neonates. They had similar proportions of mean birth weights and rates of abnormal Dopplers. So they concluded that serial growth ultrasounds and antenatal surveillance in these pregnancies were definitely warranted. Now remember, we know that now, but this was before the guidelines changed. Then, four years later, just before the SMFM guideline update in 2019, another set of data also drew up a cautionary flag. This was by Matthews et al., and the title of their publication is, Which is Better? Fetal Abdominal Circumference or EFW in Predicting SGA Infants? Guess what kind of study design this was? Yeah, it was retrospective, of course. (laughs) Anyway, they tracked kind of the same population as the other studies, but they were really looking at early diagnosis of this abdominal circumference that was lagging. So they looked at 25 to 28 weeks, all right? So that late second, early third trimester. They found that abdominal circumference had a higher sensitivity than EFW with similar specificity in predicting SGA at birth. In other words, hey, there is something to this abdominal circumference thing after all. The final conclusion that they had after their data review was that as early as 25 to 28 weeks of pregnancy, a fetal abdominal circumference less than the 10th percentile could identify a population of fetuses who are at risk for being SGA who would otherwise be overlooked if you're using EFW alone. Y'all get that? So in other words, now we have street and we have the Matthews data saying, hey, this is a thing. Don't overlook it. They are prone to being born SGA. And of course, we know that SGA, once again, has that morbidity that goes with it, just like if they're found in utero. Similarly, Miranda Long et al. published their data in January 2022, also drawing up a cautionary flag. The title of that data is Fetal Growth Restriction Defined by Abdominal Circumference Alone Predicts Perinatal Mortality. You can find that in the AJOG supplement from January 2022. This was, yep, you guessed it, a retrospective cohort study of third trimester deliveries occurring in their health system, spanning the data of 2017 to 2020. These authors tracked those with isolated abdominal circumferences less than the 10th percentile and looked for primary outcomes that were bad stuff. I mean, they looked for perinatal death. Secondary outcomes included stillbirth, neonatal death, NICU admission, SGA, and preterm delivery. Among over 20,000 deliveries, 1.2% of fetuses, that's an N of 246, met criteria for FGR based on abdominal circumference alone. So that's only 1.2%. You see how the using EFW actually catches more and very few only have isolated abdominal circumferences that are small. This fetal growth restriction occurred more frequently in this cohort in those who were younger, who were black, and non-Hispanic patients. FGR fetuses had increased risk of perinatal death, frequency of stillbirth, NICU admissions, and being SGA and even having preterm delivery were all higher in the isolated abdominal circumference group. So they concluded, quote, Diagnosis of FGR by the small abdominal circumference, again, less than 10th percentile, with normal EFW does identify a population of at-risk fetuses who are at risk of perinatal mortality. So these findings support broadening of FGR definition to include abdominal circumference, end quote. 
All right, I told you, he said, she said. We started out in the episode with, meh, track it, do some antiparum surveillance, not that big of a thing, to now to this data that says, yes, it is a thing. Oh, medicine, isn't that great? (laughs) I mean, I told you, he said, she said. Oh, it reminds me on a totally off script. They hate when I do this, but it reminds me of this so much. We had a friend back in Dallas who's a, uh, a marriage attorney, a divorce attorney, okay? No, no personal history of that. Thank you very much. I don't know what you're thinking. It's just a friend of ours. Anyway, uh, and she would always say, Hector, look, there's the husband's side of the story and then the wife's side of the story. And the truth lies in the middle. Just like we're talking about here. He said, she said, and the truth of this isolated abdominal circumference issue is somewhere in the middle. And that's our plug for coming up next. Right after this very quick break, we're going to give the practical applications of this seemingly opposing data. All right, we've covered the data. What are some practical tips here when the abdominal circumference meets criteria for FGR, but the EFW does not? First, and I have to say it, we have to be evidence-based. Remember that to adhere to the SMFM and ACOG published guidelines, the diagnosis of FGR is either a composite EFW of less than the 10th percentile or an isolated abdominal circumference of less than the 10th percentile. And it's not 10%, it is less than the 10th percentile. That's a whole other discussion, right? I mean, because then we get into this, well, what if it's right at the 10th percentile? I personally do call it, I mean, I think at the 10th percentile, we're talking about millimeters off a caliper, okay? So I use 10% or less, but I'm just a little conservative. I don't want to miss anybody. But the true definition, and there are some that go, nope, 10% is just fine. 10.1% is normal. It's got to be less than that. And that is the definition. It's got to be less than that. So the first clinical pearl is if you find either the EFW by headlock or the isolated AC is under 10% or at 10% if you want to use that. You've got to make the diagnosis, okay, and document accordingly. But as my friend said, my medical student who's now a resident, as he mentioned, there are gaps here in the guidelines. My contact was correct. The ACOG Committee Opinion on Medically Indicated Late Preterm and Early Term Deliveries is basing their delivery recommendations on the EFW and Doppler studies, not the abdominal circumference. So if you go to that committee opinion and look at the table, there's nothing in there about the abdominal circumference. Yep, that's a guideline gap. So that's why they had this whole discussion, right? That's why they were debating. Well, wait a minute, the guideline doesn't mention anything about abdominal circumference. It said it was used for diagnosis, but there's no guidelines for that. It's all based on EFW. Isn't that interesting? So for now, it's the most conservative approach and it's the expert opinion, it's the level C guideline, if you will, to apply the same percentages listed for severe FGR based on EFW, which is less than third percentile, you apply the same things to the isolated abdominal circumference diagnosis. And the same goes for antepartum surveillance here. So what did I tell my resident friend? You have to treat it the exact same way as the estimated fetal weight being less than the 10%. 
percentile and manage it accordingly. In other words, even though the committee opinion from the college doesn't list abdominal circumference less than 10th percentile or less than 3 percentile, there are other reports out there that say that we should follow the exact same thing. So even though that committee opinion, that table of when to deliver, doesn't list abdominal circumference, follow the exact same guidance for both surveillance and delivery recommendations as if it was the EFW. Because remember, there is data, like by Hawkins et al., that published in the Journal of Maternal Fetal Medicine back in 2014 that said an isolated abdominal circumference does have a higher risk of adverse perinatal outcomes. So while there is some data that says, no, it's no harm, there is data that says, yes, there is harm. So to be a patient advocate, we have to tell the patient that even though some of the data is conflicting in this arena, the safest is to listen to those who are raising the cautionary flag and say, we're going to follow these babies, you're, you're going to follow your fetus, your baby uh, serially with ultrasounds, we're going to do surveillance. And as soon as we get to that gestational age that ACOG has in the committee opinion for EFW, as soon as we get to those criterias, then we'll follow the same delivery guidelines as if the entire baby's weight was fetal growth restricted. All right, podcast family, I hope you found this podcast helpful. I know I've gotten several messages. Oddly enough, I mean, I've, this kind of come in groups, right? Somebody sends me a Facebook message. Somebody else sends me the same thing. So either you all are talking and know each other or they're just randomly not random uh, coming to me. Randomly not random? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Just go with it, okay? Uh, I... All right, podcast family, I hope you found this episode helpful. Even though there seems to be some conflicting data, always stay on the side of conservatism and be a patient advocate. Don't ignore some cautionary flags because they are out there. And as always, we're just trying to be the safety voice. All right, podcast family, I hope you found that episode helpful. Even though the data is somewhat conflicting and seems contradictory, always be a patient advocate and err on the side of caution and conservative medicine. Listen to those cautionary reports and follow the same guidelines for the isolated abdominal circumference that's growth restricted as if the total EFW was growth restricted podcast family. I'm thankful for you. I get your messages. I know some of you are asking for the list of references in each episode. Man, it's a lot. (laughs) And even though we have those because we do follow a basic outline and a basic script of some type uh, based on the episode, um, I just don't know where to put it. I don't know where to post them. Uh, Anyway, I'm trying to figure that out, but it's not as easy as you would think for a variety of reasons. But thank you for your messages. I hear you. You want the references. I get that. Um, I'm trying to figure it out. But anyway, for now, we're thankful for you and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community. And we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.